After Hours, looking back and reflecting on last week's sermon at Euston Church. Welcome back to After Hours. Tom here. And today we have Sam Ridgway with us after he's just preached on the weekend. Thanks for being here today, Sam. Thanks for having me. And thank you for preaching on the weekend. It was really great to uh, hear you speak to us from Revelation 14 and then a little section from the start of 15 as well. Um, Yeah. How how are you feeling after the weekend? Yeah, good. I mean, it's a really awesome passage. (laughs) I think at first it was a bit like, oh what do I do with this but actually I really loved spending time in it I think it's supposed to be a really encouraging passage um so yeah yeah so you kind of mentioned that oft feeling um for you particularly how do you approach a passage like this uh do you want my method or (laughs) Oh, it can be your headspace, your method. Um. (laughs) Well, start with some panic um, because it's unfamiliar territory, probably. Remember then to pray (laughs) and that I have the author of the Bible living inside me and he'll help me. Um, I think one of the things that freaked me out a bit about this passage, there's lots of visions, one after the other, um, and lots of imagery. I think one of the things that helped me was to zoom out a bit and try and put this in uh, the surrounding chapters a bit, look for where it might fit familiar patterns. Um, and I think that that's helpful, especially with the, the passages that come before it. Um, I think I'm fairly persuaded that this is one section, um, whether it's a, a kind of formal cycle or not. Um, I'm happy that we can see familiar trajectory from a victory in a victory in heaven then coming down to earth for a war it looks like the devil's winning but the lamb's army fights back and one day the war ends and there's victory on earth in some ways like actually that it ends up being not a particularly complicated story (laughs) um and so even if in the detail i was like oh there's lots of stuff i don't know what all of these things mean actually the big picture wasn't wasn't too hard to kind of grasp and from that point you have a bit more confidence as you interpret each bit individually yeah i think it's a really great moment of insight uh looking kind of specifically at some of the things that have already been expressed uh in a really uh in the seals and in uh the trumpets and perhaps a a nice little interlude that gives us another perspective kev's not here to defend his point of view so i'll take advantage of that and um yeah, really good. I think <laughs> I was thinking the other day that the four, like me, you, Ed and, and Kev, should at the end of this, like draw, like find a way of drawing the cycle of what our brains experience as we approach each of these passages in Revelation. It's like we all have that, oh, oh no, like panic. Okay, pray, think. And then suddenly you get kind of get on a roll as you realize, okay, this can be done. We can figure it out. And then the other side of that, when we're like, oh man, now I've got to cut all this stuff out because my sermon's like 50 minutes long. Um, I found really helpful just uh, coming back to what Kev reminded us of, of these verses are supposed to bless us. <laughs> um, 
that it's not designed to make me despair or just yeah wallow in confusion this is supposed to bless me so <laughs> that that's at least quite a positive okay I'm going into this expecting to be blessed yeah and I feel like um having been there in the for the recording from for most of them that's the kind of feeling that you get from the preacher by the time they've gotten to the point of preaching is they're like no I'm actually I've gone from fearing this passage to being excited by it and thrilled with what Christ has done for me uh, which is really awesome uh, yeah, I thought it'd take an opportunity, Sam, for you to, I mentioned before the things that we feel like we're cutting out. Um, are, are there any particular things that you really wish that you could have expanded on? Something that maybe you were like, oh, this this thing really excited me, but it just couldn't quite make it in as you trimmed it down. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of, there's loads of bits of detail that it feels like either pick up on, on something from the Old Testament, pick up from something else from Revelation, mm. ties into the rest of chapter 14 itself. Um, and I feel like lots of that, because there are five visions, <laughs> I was like, there's lots of this just can't can't make it into the, the finished article. Um, and some of that, that just enriches how it holds together. Um, so um, e- even to the point of linking together the, the global witness and making that big and linking that to the king of the nations at the end um, as the picture. That's how we fulfill um, the, the promise to Abraham of a great multitude. He sing God praise from every nation. Um, stuff like uh, there's little details about, uh, I guess, the, the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, linking to the cup of God's wrath, the wine of God's wrath linking to the grapes at the end I was like oh there's there's something that follows all the way through I'm not sure I probably did probably didn't do justice to that I think the thing I I most wanted to spend time on would probably be unpacking some of the application um so I went big and I think it was the big thing that excited me um on this idea of sacrifice and truth um but what does it really look like to be a Christian soldier a Christian martyr um what does it look like to to sacrifice and to follow the lamb wherever he goes um and i wonder if i mean there's there's details here that link back to the seven churches as well um Mm. that just just helps to ground this in that these this was sent to real people um they they recognize how this related to some of their experience so uh, probably some of the defiling themselves with women and the sexual immorality were supposed to link back with a kind of spiritual adultery that was happening in those seven churches mm. um, there may well have been a, a, a literal sexual immorality problem as well uh, but I think particularly it seemed to it seemed to come up big this false teaching um, and compromising with the world and I feel like there are echoes of that here where we're supposed to think actually for those churches um in Pergamum or Thyatira they they're hearing actually how how you'd never want to be compromised um because actually there's two very clear sides in this battle um and you're on the winning one if you're with the lamb (laughs) yeah I think that's helpful and the I mean, when you're, when you're choosing which things you're going to focus in on, when when some things are going to be expanded on more in the following passages, 
it can kind of afford to be a bit lighter. And um, with Revelation 17 coming up, I really appreciated you leaving me a bit of room to uh, expand on Babylon and also those sexual immorality concepts that are really strong in, in that passage. So I'll still have something to talk about. So thanks for that. Yeah, you've got plenty. You can do Babylon. There you go. <laughs> um, I think it comes up next week as well. Yeah. So we'll see if Ed steals all of it, but we'll, um, yeah. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, something I did like grab on a couple of things though, that you just said then, um, like something I found interesting in the imagery um, of the grapes and the wine seems to be used in quite a negative way here. Whereas, you know, often in the Bible, wine is used in quite a, a positive way often. So the concept of new wine or, or even, um, you know, the way in which we, we talk about um, the, the renewal. Uh, so what, what's kind and of going on here? Jesus, I'm the true vine. <laughs> uh, abide in me. There's clearly also a good vine <laughs> um, that you could be part of. I think this one's clearly negative because the grapes get thrown into the wine press of the wrath of God and that gets trodden and blood flows from the wine press. So um, I think in this image, because there's a there's two harvests, I think it's pretty clear this one's this harvest of grapes is definitely a negative. And I think, yeah, I think because it links back in with Verse eight, Babylon the Great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And verse 10, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. So there's a kind of appropriateness, um, almost irony to the punishment that comes from that. Um, it matches perfectly onto the images of sin. <laughs> the, the judgment is, is appropriate. Yeah. And it's, I mean, wine or, or alcohol seems to generally be connected quite strongly to idolatry at times as well, as we think of Joel and, and different parts. And almost, like, I, don't, I don't know if I have enough to back this up, but I wonder whether or not it's kind of talking about them as, in this way is almost like a warning against those who are cut off and turn away and follow the beast instead of Jesus, that, that they won't be part of the, the new wine and, and part of his vine. But yeah, really interesting to see the kind of vividness there and the, the wine press of, of blood is quite a, um, yeah, quite a, a mature themed yeah. concept. Um, a couple I of think, other things. Think, yeah, no, no, go. I was just going to say, I think, you're, I think you're right in that the verse 12 says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints, um, as well as this being an image of what the message is that's going out in this era. Um, I think it's also really clear that if you're a saint listening to this, you're supposed to know <laughs> that you you don't want to give up on Jesus because there is only these are the two alternatives. Um, mm. It's very stark the contrast. Um, so I think you're right to think, yeah, you do, you don't want to be part of the great harvest for sure. Yeah. So a few other things. Um, basically, think basically, I'm looking at things that interested me, and I wondered if you could expand on more. Um, maybe a little provocative, but I wanted to ask you, why are the lambs followers virgins? Yeah, I said, I think I said in the talk, verse four is a bit confusing. Um, <laughs> there is my way of avoiding having to tackle that. <laughs> I basically didn't bring it up because I was like, oh, are we just going to distract everybody as we talk about um, the army of the lamb being those who don't defile themselves with women for they are virgins. Um, even, even in that one sentence, it seems like you've got 
a male image, those who don't defile themselves with women, and a female image, <laughs> for they are virgins. Um, so even just within that like one little sentence, it seems so confusing in, in and of itself. I think, so I've already said, I think that defiling themselves with women is a, is a spiritual purity kind of thing. Um, yeah, that made me think of Exodus that we've just done in midweek uh, before the mountain uh, when they, um, or just just as or they're just about to do in midweek uh, when God descends upon the mountain and it's one of one of the things that he tells Israel not to do. Mm. And it seems like it's part of the army imagery. Um, so uh, in the Old Testament, there's a, a few references where if they're going into battle or they're or they're currently at war, <laughs> um, then there's a kind of sexual self denial that goes with that. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's a great point. And so it's, it's another thing that backs up the fact that this 144,000 is an army. Um, they're, they're also virgins. Um, I wonder if the, that's clearly not saying that Christians can't have sex. Um, I think we're on safe territory that the rest of the Bible would say that's nonsense. Um, but I wonder if there is something about them. Also, they're also a bride waiting for the husband. Um, <laughs> and so at the picture at the end of Revelation where... Uh, then the New Jerusalem comes down as a, a bride. Um, and so I think that's pro that might also be a reference there. Did you have any other thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty good contrasting imagery against the uh, adulterous people uh, who follow, yeah. and, and particularly the way that we see Babylon described later. Um, yeah. It's a good kind of comparison uh, of, of those terms. I think the virgin one's really interesting in that the, in that that word we is only ever used to describe uh, women in in the Bible, um, but it's clearly not exclusively women in this situation, and which makes me think it's kind of one of those symbols that's yeah. being thrown yeah. out to think about the purity of God's people. Um, but yeah, yeah, so maybe it was less provocative back then than it is to read in church now. Probably, almost certainly. I think spiritual purity is helpful. It then the the verse goes on it is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes these who have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for god and the lamb and then it, it talks about in their mouth no lie was found for they are blameless so there's mm. like the, the rest of the verses just you know keep bulking up the same point i think um they are not <laughs> that because they're the lamb's followers they don't lie and deceive like the beasts <laughs> um there's a they're spiritually pure and they've been marked out as gods um so the set apart portion i think that's what the first fruits bit is um the first bit goes to god and then the rest of the harvest well we see what happens to that uh, at the end of chapter 14. great yeah um and i'll just highlight there that you mentioned the first fruits as uh, that's something else i was going to ask you about as it came up a little bit after church um so you're saying that it's talking about them being the, the first portion going to god yeah, great. Um, yeah, I thought I'd bring up the fact that there seems to be this kind of grim reaper figure that comes in and uh, brings down some judgment. At, uh, or, or like one sickle, it seems to be positive and one seems to be negative. Yeah. Could, you, could you talk us through the sickles? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so two harvests. I think, I think the one like a son of man is Jesus, um, partly because of the crown on his head. Um, and partly because of links to, to Daniel, maybe one like a son of man coming on a cloud. Um, 
So I think that's Jesus. Some people think that's another angel. Um, But it's really clear you get uh, one like a son of man and an angel says it's time. It's time for the harvest. Uh, The sickle, the sickle is his sharp harvest tool. He slices down the crop. Um, That sounds quite violent. I think that first reaping is a positive reaping. (laughs) Um, I think that's the first fruits being uh, harvested um, for God and the lamb. Um, And you can see, you can see that the way it's different to the second reaping where another angel comes with his sickle. He too had a sharp sickle and an angel who has authority over the fire calls to him and says, it's also it's also ripe to harvest the second crop as well. Um, and so he cuts down the, the grapevines. But what happens to those gets a lot more detail. So we, we know that those grapes also get thrown in the wine press and trodden. Um, and a fairly horrific image of the blood flowing for 1,600 stadia. Um, Do you want so, to yeah. take on the stadia? The stadia, oh yeah, there's a number that uh, <laughs> everyone loves to to have a go at. Uh, 1,600. Um, basically, we're not really sure. People people like to have a go. Uh, it might be something to do with four. Um, so four is four is the number of the earth. Um, I think that's that's a reasonable um, start. And we see that a bit in this chapter. So the fact that. Uh, when we talk about those who dwell on the earth, they always come in fours, every nation, tribe, language, people. Um, and it also splits the the bits of creation into four. And like we've seen with zeal trumpets, the first four each deal with one aspect of, of creation. Um, so I think four, like, four is a reasonable number. After that, I feel like you're slightly guessing, but it might be four times four. Um, and then where do you get the hundred from that you're also chanting of I? Like key point, don't get too hung up on the precise number and what its significance was. If in case, so that that's a lot of blood. Yeah, I like how um whenever we come across a number like this in Revelation, it's like we can solve this with division. We yeah. just divide yeah. it until we find the numbers we like. But it's um often and sometimes quite hard. sometimes I think that's you know occasionally I think that's that's helpful. Sometimes I think we're a bit guessing and sure. don't, don't be too confident of your solution that you found. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, Sam, verse 13 of, of chapter 14, uh, it says, I'll just read it. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Should we all pursue martyrdom? Yeah, great question. Um, yes and no, I think is the answer. Um, so it's a, it's a really helpful verse. Partly it helped me think it was right to look at, follow the lamb wherever he goes as a to, to the cross being a kind of normal path um, for the Christian. Uh, the Christian soldier probably goes to his death. Um, and I think John deliberately writes in that kind of uh, extreme way, not because he, he really thinks that every Christian will die for his faith, 
um, nor that we should all die for our faith. Um, but it, it puts in it puts it in the framework of actually this is life and death. This is a battle. Um, this is all or nothing. Like you, you go all in um, when you follow Jesus. And I don't think it's I don't think it's massively different from Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is expecting you to go all in for him. Um, and while that image is something that I'm terribly afraid of because I totally want to keep my life, um, I don't want to lose it. Um, I think this chapter is, is trying to tell you, actually, no, blessed are you if you do that. Um, that's the path mm. to victory. Follow Jesus. That's what he did. Uh, he gave his life and won. <laughs> um, that, is the, that is the road to victory. Um, and I think it's helpful, it's helpful to say in our context, maybe it seems unlikely that that will be literally dying. But there are plenty of places around the world today where actually you know maybe maybe that is much more literal for them um we shouldn't we shouldn't assume this is mainly written to christians in our circumstances and so john really ought to have specified more what that would look like i mean (laughs) but i think yeah i think it's a good question and i think it's it's one to it's one that basically i think should start to open up what the application of this is um as we try and as we try to be up for martyrdom um as we try to take up our cross, as we try to nail our colours to the flag or whatever, uh, or nail yourself to the cross, I guess is basically. And I've had some oddly encouraging conversations with workers, particularly at our lunchtime webinars, but thinking about actually when when the cost hits um, to follow Jesus, whether that's in an interview as you're trying to get a job and they start to interrogate you about your faith. And you can see that the conversation turns <laughs> Um, and what you thought was going really well, you're like, there's no way I'm getting this job now because they just asked me about this. And even though that has nothing to do with the job I'm going for, they're the one in power. And so I will pay for this. Um, and so you don't get the job. Or all the pressure that comes from uh, pride or I guess the, the kind of latest seems to be having to put personal pronouns on stuff. Um to clarify how people should refer to you as he or her. Um, that that feels like that, maybe that will kind of rise and become a bit of a battleground, but Christians having to think through right now, what do I say to my boss and my colleagues when they put me in those situations? What might the cost of that be? I think if you're up for, basically, if you're up for martyrdom, as a kind of like, okay, that's the worst they can do to me, then I think you're up for anything. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can follow Jesus, but you, you've got to be willing to go to the cross yourself. Um, but yeah, I think a really good one for people to, to think about, what does that look like in your context? Yeah, cool. That's really helpful. And um, as we kind of look at how you know, this verse can still apply to us, even though we're not running that church in Africa with rebels coming into the village. Yeah. Um, and I think, and even then, even to that person, it's not saying try to get yourself killed. Mm, yeah. Um, so like death isn't the goal. <laughs> the The point is staying faithful. Um, so the, the Egyptian pastor um, that I quoted from on Sunday, um, 
it's not that he's looking to die. He doesn't he doesn't want to die as his as his goal. What he's asking for prayers for is that they'll keep witnessing. That's what this era is for. Um, he wants to reach Egypt with the gospel. And he says, when the inevitable persecution comes, because that that witness is offensive and the beast particularly hates it. So he'll use whatever forces he can to snuff it out. Um, when the inevitable persecution comes, then he's praying for the endurance to stay faithful, even if it costs his life. Um, so it's not try to die whatever you can do to, to get killed, as if that would win you some kind of points with God or something. Um, this is be willing to accept that because your life is your life is for Jesus and you follow him wherever he goes. Um, and losing your life now for the sake of the gospel is totally worth it because you win. And so what, what challenge do you think there is for the, the Christian who's, you know, listening along and is thinking, well, actually, I just, I'm not experiencing anything like that in my life. Um, and I never really have any of those uncomfortable situations. Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't seem to be a category in in John's mind he doesn't think that that person exists um which means I guess it asks questions of us of like are are we sure we're really in like are, are we in the battle as in are you sure you're in Jesus's army or have you compromised with the world so that they don't they don't even need to attack you because mm. well you're not really a threat <laughs> to the system the beast isn't worried about you because he's managed to He's managed to make you silent or um, serve him even. Um, and yeah, so I think I think there's a challenge there of like, maybe if we witnessed more, <laughs> we'd realise this is this is actually the case. Of course, there's loads of persecution around, but we're all slightly too um, afraid and we're all and, and maybe we're, we're not quite loud enough in our witness and I don't think witness has to be just like proclaiming it as you stand on a chair in the office or whatever um so it seems to be whole life it seems like you can witness by your death um as part of it but clearly words are in there there's a clear message that the angels have come with um and yeah I wonder if it is a challenge to us that if we, we should expect the persecution to be inevitable like it is for the Egyptian pastor. <laughs> um, yeah, great. I think that's a really helpful and important challenge um, but for us to consider, especially when we put it into the categories of what John's expecting and thinking about. So that's really know, good. I know there's quite a few people who, who really are fearing persecution, mm. even, even on a lower level. Um, they they are actually starting to feel this um, and and maybe people who aren't fearing it so much for themselves but for their children um, and the world that they're growing up in and where we might be 10 years down the line if the trajectory carries on this way um, I think there's people who are afraid for what what the world will turn into <laughs> um, and I think you know to some degree I think that's you know we should be we should be on our guard. Let's let's assume actually it probably will get worse than it is now. Um, and as someone with a child who's going to grow up mm -hmm. in it, 
um, you know, that's that should be a consideration. But at the same time, I don't need to protect them from the battle. I need to equip them for the battle. Um, and the way they'll be equipped is to know the truth and to stick with the truth, even if that costs them their life. And that, and that will also probably also therefore cost them power and status in this world. It'll cost them social circles. Um, am I happy to say actually that that will be them thriving in this world because they're on Jesus's team and that's the one that leads to victory. Uh, that's the mindset I have to have um, so that I don't compromise, not just for myself, but also for the sake of my daughter. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I mean, that's super uplifting and challenging at the same time and a really helpful headspace for us to be in as we uh, look, as we go into the, the bowls this week and as we then get to some of the big final visions. Um, thanks so much for giving us some time and, and more of your, your insight and the parts that we didn't get to see that you thought through. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, Sam. Thank you. That was After Hours. Join us next week or get in touch with us at houstonchurch.com.